Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back, and you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from the Montage Palmetto Bluff Hotel and Resort in Bluffton, South Carolina. I'll speak with Scott McCartney, travel editor emeritus of the Wall Street Journal, about a strange development in the airline business. At a time when airfares were nearing historic highs and every plane was full, some of the low-cost carriers were getting hammered on profits. He'll explain what happened and what that means to you. Next, we'll dive deep into the low country of South Carolina, first with the mayor of Bluffton, Lisa Sulka, and then with historian Glenn Umberger, with lots of surprises. First up, Scott McCartney. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The notorious Scott McCartney. How are you, sir? <laughs> notorious SM. I'm good, Peter. How are you? 
I'm good. I, you know, it's interesting to talk to you always, but especially when you're trying to figure out how you crunch the numbers. You know, this has been a quarter, or actually a year, in which the airlines have made a lot of money. They're rolling in it. Every yeah. plane, every plane is full, and they're predicting. If you listen to their their analysts' meetings, the CEO of Delta is predicting even more money and even doing better. And yet, interesting report now from Spirit and Frontier that says at least in this quarter they might not be making that much money at all. I know this is fascinating. So you you have full planes, you have crowded airports and all that. You think airlines would be printing money, and, and yet Spirit and Frontier are both going to lose money and in in significant money. Um, Spirit, uh, which which said their margin is going to be around negative fifteen percent. So every dollar they they take in, they lose fifteen cents. It's really remarkable. Frontier um, uh, really flipping their projection from an estimated revenue increase of four to seven percent to an expected loss of four to seven percent. Okay, so, um, so how do so, you expl- how do you explain this? Well, I think it's a it's a combination of things. Um, I do think demand has um, declined uh, this fall, and it started in August. Uh, and so the big airlines, which have seen really a surge in international travel, um, have have benefited from that, uh, even as domestic travel got weaker. But for Spirit and Frontier, they're so heavily domestic travel, and this carries over to Southwest some too, uh, that, um, that that's tougher for them. I also think that, that higher fuel prices have taken a huge toll on these guys. And in uh, higher labor costs, it's interesting, you know, Spirit, um, we've seen huge labor contracts at American Delta and United, but Spirit also signed a new, a new con- labor contract with the Airline Pilots Association, uh, which really upped their wages. And Frontier's going to have to do it, too. And they're all paying more to hire pilots, to hire ground workers, to hire everyone else. Um, it's it's interesting. Scott Kirby, the, the CEO of United Airlines, had a while ago said uh, he thinks that the um, the low cost carriers uh, are really going to be in trouble. And maybe we're starting to see that uh, there was uh, some truth in Scott Kirby's prediction. Um, now, this all may be seasonal. Uh, they'll do fine next summer and all that. But um, uh, it is an interesting trend that you're seeing good earnings at big airlines and not so good earnings and in fact losses at smaller airlines and at the same time we're at a time of the year when fares tend to drop yeah and, and fares have dropped um and that's you know that's not good for airlines right <laughs> their, their costs don't necessarily drop when their fares drop uh you know everybody everybody thinks airlines can just just raise fares um but they can't they they can try and raise fares, but if, if demand has come down, people aren't going to go, or they're going to go somewhere else, or they're going to go uh, shop around until they find a cheaper ticket. Um, so uh, the the um, uh, the lack of demand this fall has forced airlines to cut fares, and, and that's hurting the weakest guys. Indeed. And, of course, what hasn't also been discussed, at least recently, is the, the pending uh, you want to call it a merger or a takeover of Spirit by JetBlue? Yeah, and I think, in, you know, in some ways, Peter, um, this kind of makes the case for, uh, makes the case stronger for the merger. Um, Spirit's losing money, 
and and JetBlue may, you know, we're going to see JetBlue uh, have lower earnings. Um, the the JetBlue argument is we will be stronger as a bigger airline, uh, and and I think we may be seeing some of that. You know, there's another interesting aspect to airline finances right now. The the big guys are making most of their profit off their frequent flyer program and their credit card deal. And these little guys don't have giant deals with American Express or Citibank. Um, So they don't have that bonus in their earnings that that big airlines have. And And that's hurting them too. Exactly. But interestingly enough, though, you talk about the frequent flyer programs, even there may be a dent in that with a lot of people reacting in a very negative way to the Delta announcement recently about how they were revamping their frequent flyer program, not to mention their lounge yeah. access, because you know they're co-branded with American Express on their credit cards, and a lot of people who are angry American Express card holders are threatening to cancel their cards. <laughs> it was, uh, on, on the podcast, though, we were sort of making fun that you know, there's so much attention on, on Taylor Swift that and Travis Kelsey, and it was sort of like, well, Ed Bastian wanted to go back to December again. He, he tried to tell frequent flyers to, to shake it off, but uh, but they just wouldn't. Um, so, so so it it really uh, you know in the annals of, of business blunders, um, this this may be another one, right? Um, so Delta uh, did what uh, largely what American had already done um, right. without uh, 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 a whole lot of uh, aid. But um, I think, you know, it's different with, with Delta. And so they, um, uh, they said they were going to switch to elite qualification totally based on money, uh, not miles or trips flown. And, uh, and they're doing other things like tightening up and limiting access to their lounges. Well, they have a huge overcrowding problem with their lounges, right? So they got to do something. And they have a huge overcrowding problem in their elite rank. Um, and that affects everything from crowding at boarding to access to upgrades and, and better seats and uh, just general happiness with the program. Um, and then the, then the backlash came from people who would be downgraded, essentially. Uh, and you can understand that. Um, but the airline responded by saying, oops, um, we did it again. Uh, we made a mistake. We're going we're gonna to reevaluate and roll back. Um, I think this is probably a case of these are changes Delta is going to need to get to. Uh, and so instead of sort of doing it all in one fell swoop, um, they're, they're now going to say, oh, we'll do a little bit this year to make you happy. Uh, but then we'll do a little bit more next year and the year after and the year after. And eventually we'll get to the same place. Well, yeah, that's the point. When Ed Bastian said, uh, we may have gone a little too far. He didn't apologize, and he didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't say it was a bad move. What he was really right. saying is, we never should have done it all at once, but we're still going to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's really what's going to happen here. And a lot of people, I mean, this decision by Delta or the announcement by Delta gave a lot of frequent flyers the opportunity that they didn't really have before or didn't seize before to do the math and connect the dots and now begin to question the value of their participation in the frequent flyer program, the value of the mileage that they're spending so much time chasing. And I can tell you, I've gotten so many emails from our listeners saying, I'm going to a cashback credit card. I don't need to chase miles anymore. It's not worth it to me. I'll never get the upgrade anyway. Why do I spend $700 a year for lounge access for a a lounge I can't get into? 
And that's something that, that whether Delta wants to make changes or not along the lines of what they wanted to do, that may not be solved. Yeah, no, and th- that is the fundamental problem, right? Because that credit card is is everything to Delta. It's all the profits right now. Um, and so they got to keep the credit card people happy. Uh, and they thought they were going to do that by uh, allowing more elite qualification from your credit card spend um, so, that the, so that you would use that credit card more. Um, but if you say, forget it, I'm going to a cash back credit card, um, then... Uh, Delta Delta loses, American Express loses, or American Express may not lose if it goes to a different credit card um, at American Express. Uh, but um, certainly Delta loses. And, and, and the interesting um, and the interesting if, thing, Scott, is that when you actually look at the the attitude of of the travelers who were blowing back on this, the perception was in order to get the lowest tier status at Delta you'd have to spend a minimum of $75,000 on your American Express card. If you wanted the mm-hmm. highest tier status, you had to spend $350,000. That came as a shock. And people were saying, that's yeah. it, I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. I, you know, it, it's, uh, you can get a companion pass at Southwest Airlines for spending, um, I don't know, what is it, $115,000 or something, something close to that. Amazing. Um, so yeah, and and that's a good benefit that if you travel a lot, could put hundreds of dollars um, of savings in in your pocket essentially. You know, the other day when the government was on the on the verge of being shut down, uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg made an announcement saying, you know, if we shut down, we're going to have to stop training all those new sixteen hundred air traffic controllers we just hired, and we don't want that to happen. Well, the good news is was. The government didn't shut down, and the training is continuing. But that doesn't mean that those 1,600 new hires are working the boards. They're not. In fact, it may be even more problematic than that. We've been talking to Scott McCartney, the travel editor emeritus of the Wall Street Journal. Scott, interpret the uh, the latest Inspector General report on air traffic control. It, it's shocking, Peter. It really, really is. And you, you know, if this was um, potholes in the street or bridges falling down, things you could see. Um, there would be national outrage, um, but you can't really see all the potholes in the sky and, and all the problems. Um, you don't know that your flight to New York was delayed um, because there weren't any supervisors in the in the New York Terminal Control Center. Um, but the, the Inspector General's report showed just a, a sort of a horrifying staffing level. Seventy five percent of the FAA's critical facilities, top 30, 25 facilities. Um, they, they're below 85% staffing level. And, and that's, that's bad when most every place is up. But the New York TRACON, the Terminal Area uh, Traffic Control Center, controls all the flights in and out of the New York area. They have eight supervisors. They're supposed to have 30. The staffing level at that facility, arguably the most important in the country, uh, the staffing level there is only 54%. Um, the FAA has tried to address this um, some way by moving the airspace over Newark, New Jersey, um, to the Philadelphia TRACON, um, which actually has fairly decent staffing. And, uh, and Senator Chuck Schumer um, uh, basically blocked it, said you, you can't move jobs out of New York. Uh, and um, so it's a, it's a huge problem. I recently talked to Steve Dixon, the the, the most recent FAA administrator who resigned uh, a bit ago. And, you know, it, it is a, 
a fundamental infrastructure problem um, that's getting worse. Um, that even with the, the the people being trained, uh, you know, we have known this was coming for decades, and uh, and and the crisis is here, uh, and it's affecting travel every day. It's it's made prices higher to get in and out of New York because airlines have had to cancel flights um, through the through the fall, summer and fall. Um, because the FAA knew it just didn't have enough controllers. And not only that, Scott, I was, I've was i been on three flights this week that were basically delayed simply because of what we call flow control. That's air traffic control again, yeah. slowing it down. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's right. And the, there are controllers called traffic management uh, controllers, and, and they make sure that the, that the flow is right so you don't end up with, uh, with a particular chunk of airspace getting overloaded with too many planes or a particular airport getting overloaded with too many planes arriving at the same time. Um, they're really crucial to the system and there's a huge shortage of them. Uh, and, uh, so if you, if you don't have enough, uh, um, traffic management controllers, uh, you, you just have to close down sections of airspace. So, uh, you know, I, I was in Baltimore, sat on an airplane. There was a little tiny thunderstorm, uh, and it happened to be on a route um, that, that uh, Baltimore departures use for, for westbound. And there was just no ability in the system to allow planes to reroute. There was an, no reason in the world why every airplane westbound couldn't f- fly around that thunderstorm, except that that meant those planes would go into another section of airspace and you would overload that airspace and there just weren't enough controllers uh, to make it happen. So what does the FAA do? They just keep airplanes on the ground. And worse than that, we have air traffic control centers where you have air traffic controllers working overtime. Yeah, huge overtime. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the issue in the New York center. Um, they have a hard time. The washout rate is, is really high there. Uh, and the, and you could cynically say, hey, the controllers there that are getting huge amounts of overtime, uh, they don't they don't want more people in that center because then it's going to cut down on their overtime. Um, I think this is you know this is a national economic issue. This isn't an issue for the eight or twelve controllers who are uh, really uh, enjoying heavy duty overtime. Um, it's just something that has got to change. Well, it's a systemic problem, and, and as you said, there's no news bulletin here. This has been brewing for at least three decades that I know of. And you know, if there's one, if there are a couple of jobs that you do not want anybody working overtime, let me see what they might be: uh, brain surgeon, uh, heart surgeon, and air traffic controller. Come on. Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's serious because the controllers say, "Hey, there's a there's a lot of burnout. There's there's a lot of fatigue uh, here because we are working working so hard." Um, it was it was crazy that the FAA shut down its training academy for two years in the pandemic. Just absolutely Amazing. no reason. My thanks to Scott. Now imagine a town that started small, I mean really small, at just one square mile, and then exploded to 54 square miles. In 1992, Bluffton had just 742 residents. Today more than 30,000. And Bluffton has still managed to keep it small. Mayor Lisa Sulka explains the town's philosophy. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. 
Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Madam Mayor, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. For the folks listening right now, can you explain Bluffton? <laughs> um, Paint the picture. Oh, my gosh. I could just talk all day. You know, it is... Because you've been here for 30 years. I, yes. Um... It is everything you'd want in a small town, um, everything you'd want in a city, but you get it in a small town with that community feel. But we have the river, we have the weather, we have the people, whether they were born here or moved here from another part of the world, that just drink our Kool-Aid and understand the importance of, of welcoming people who come here for the first time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, but you're from South Carolina. I am from South Carolina. So I like everywhere in South Carolina, <laughs> but I am from South Carolina. And you went to a school that has a terrible football team. What's the name hey, of that school? Hey, we're on an upward trajectory to greatness. <laughs> By the way, my, my Wisconsin Badgers have been on an upward trajectory to greatness for 40 years. They're not there yet. Well, my, my blood is way too orange. Yeah, we know. It's very orange. We got it. Go Tigers. I know, go have Tigers. Have to do it. Do you have a shirt? Oh, I have. All kinds of orange. <laughs> <laughs> but people don't realize, I don't think, that where we are right now is really on the coast. Right, right. People didn't know what Bluffton meant for years. Um, and now it's just wonderful in a place we sit today at Palmetto Bluff. They market Bluffton. And really, this community has put our town on the map. Um, is We're right on the coast. We have river all around us. We're 54% water, our county. So we have a lot of water around where I live and the, the environment, the trees, the birds, the dolphins, the gators. I mean, just every day you walk down the street and you smile. When I checked into my room today, there was a little pamphlet there. It says understanding alligators. Yes, sir. So you want to explain to me what you just meant by, Oh, there are gators. What yes. do you mean? Well, you have to, um, you have to be aware of the environment anywhere you go, but, um, are the, there alligator crossings? There are no, <laughs> they cross wherever they want to. Uh, we figured that out. Uh, there are alligators. People think they can, you know, just like the Buffalo at Yellowstone, they think it's cute. They can get a picture, they can feed them, but you know, you're doing more harm than good and you have to respect and appreciate where they are from about, 50 yards distance, and no, they're never going anywhere. They, they have outlived everything. <laughs> they were here before the dinosaurs, I think. <laughs> and they're here in, in, in large numbers. Big numbers, and they're big. And But do they understand that there's a hotel here? Um, I think some do, because I don't seem to see many <laughs> when I'm here at the hotel. 
<laughs> they're in the spa. They're, they're in the spa. That's exactly right. When people come here for the first time, and I'm talking to Bluffton, not the mm-hmm. hotel, what's the surprise for them? Um, you know, I think the surprise is they come into a town that every storefront is full. The restaurants are amazing. Uh, the ability to walk from north to south, and south ends in the May River, uh, is just different for so many people and where they come from. And for the most part, our weather is fabulous. It's hot in the summer, but it's a very walkable town. And the people are just so friendly, you know, and we want people to stop and ask us, you know, where something is so we can introduce ourselves to them. Is it true that Bluffton started just as one square mile? One, that was it. One square mile. There was, we have a street that is our main street and. Tell me it's called Main Street. No, we don't have a main street. Thank you. No, we don't, we don't <laughs> ever want a main street, but the street that is our, our busy street, there is a center part of it, a half a mile to the river, a half a mile north, east and west. And that was the central, uh, that was the center point of Bluffton when they incorporated in the 1800s. And we were a square mile until the 90s. When I moved here, we were still a square mile. And today? Today, we're 54 square miles. Whoa. That's exponential growth. A a lot of growth. A lot of growth. And how do you manage that growth? Well, you know, we we hire very well. And you need people who run the town to be knowledgeable of how to do, you know, smart growth. And you need a council and mayor, I think, that understood where we were to know where we're going. When I moved here, I was number 742, and I jokingly say that, but seriously say it. There were about 740 residents when I moved in 92, and now we have almost 30,000. Whoa. So I grew up, the town grew up, and I grew up along with it. And you've been mayor, you're the longest serving mayor in the history of the town. Yes, yes. So they haven't found out yet. (laughs) But in any given day, you can can bike all 54 Mm -hmm. acres, right? Mm -hmm. Or 54 square miles. Mm -hmm. You can. We we have pathways that that are beside every roadway. So from one end of the 50 square square miles to the other, from the north to the river, you know, you get to the river, you have to start swimming. You can bike, you can walk. So your infrastructure was not added as like an afterthought. No, it's very well thought out. Very well. What makes your town a smart town? You know... It, you can come across different answers to that, but I think I think we're smart because we provided the smart growth. Whenever we developed an area, they had to provide either amenities to the residents or they had to provide funds to go into some fund for schools, for roads, for pathways, for parks. Palmetto Bluff, they develop, but we have a public dock. You can come through the gate at any time and enjoy lunch or enjoy the river. Um, the river. So you're making it accessible. We make it very accessible accessible because not many people in the 54 square miles have that access to water and our river is really really important to this town it's the livelihood for a lot of people who shuck oysters shrimp crab and for those like I would explain to someone if you want to do something fun get on the river and kayak so it's it's a really important part of our town well speaking of the river obviously when you have this kind of growth you have to worry about water you do do you have enough water? Yes. Well, we have pr- a private utility uh, that provides us water through the aquifers. Um, sewer was a big issue as we were growing. Uh, so with these developments, they had to provide that for their residents. So it wasn't a cost to the town. Um, the water is from a private utility. Uh, you know, all, everything. Every We had to think about every need that 
this thirty-five to 40,000 population may need. Schools, health care. So when you came here, how many schools were there? Uh, there was one of everything when I came <laughs> to this town in 1992, except churches. <laughs> we had 20 churches and one one police officer. Wait, wait hold on. You had 742 <laughs> people in town and 20 churches? We had, we had 10 churches <laughs> in, in our square mile. How big were the congregations? <laughs> well, divided by seven. Intimate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it, we were tight knit. Wow. Yeah. How, how many different denominations? Every denomination, and you and you were asking more about Bluffton. We're in this most southern part of our state, and we have we are so diverse in our religion, in our people, in what we offer. I mean, it's just amazing. We have every religion you can name. We have within fifteen minutes, you have you have a congregation. Wow, so basically, if you really want to go crazy, do it on Sunday because everybody's in church. That's right. That's right. Most everybody. <laughs> the other half's on the river. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. They're praying. The real church they're, of God. They're praying in the kayaks. That's right. right. Okay. The real church, right, of course. But he's with everybody everywhere. So hey. There you go. What's the biggest challenge you have? You know, educating new people that don't realize this was such a small town of 742 people not that long ago, um, and really educating them, educating them that they're not the last people to move here. We're still a growing town. So, you know, we're about 70% built out residentially, so we have 30% more of our growth that's that planned. That can accommodate. That we can accommodate. But when you moved here, you said there was one of everything, like one mm-hmm. restaurant. Squat and gobble. I can name wait, all wait, the whoa, ones. Whoa, whoa. What's the name of that restaurant? <laughs> the re- there was only one restaurant in town, and it was called the Squat in Gobble. Squat in Gobble. Is it still here? It is still the best breakfast spot in town. Why? It's, it's just your typical small town diner, but but they have a, a a line now to get in, so you have to pick and choose the times to go. You can't just walk in and sit anymore. You have to wait. Unless you know somebody who knows somebody. You kind of blink, but then they want you outside waiting because they don't want to. <laughs> they don't want the peer pressure. And what do you order there? Um, I always get the same. I do breakfast. They're open for breakfast and lunch, and I get your basic grits, eggs, bacon. Well, there's no such thing as basic grits. It's they're good grits. Are they? Oh yes. Oh yes. No basic grits. So basically, you're a grit inspector. I am a grit inspector, <laughs> and I can do that. I'm from South Carolina. Yes, you can. What about lunch? <laughs> Lunch, I any food truck, we, that's one thing with our growth. We've seen the uprise of food trucks, and they're all great. I would pick the cottage. The okay. cottage right there on our main street called Calhoun Street. Um, just unbelievable old house with a wraparound porch, and they serve anything from shrimp and grits. Well, back to grits. <laughs> back to grits, to salads, to fabulous sandwiches. Just wonderful. And dinner? Dinner. I'm going to have a lot of angry business Don't owners. Don't be the mayor, be you. I am. Farm Bluffton. It is by far my favorite favorite place that just opened in the last 10 years. He's a, a Beard Foundation winner. Oh, James Beard Foundation. James Beard. He is farm to table. True and, farm and to they, table. True farm to table from your cocktail to your dessert. Wow, so if I can get through the name Squat and Gobble. I'll meet you there. My thanks to Lisa. There's a lot of history in Bluffton, including the fact that it was burned down during the Civil War. And the stories are still being told by folks like historian Glenn Umberger. Glenn Umberger, welcome back. Thank you, sir. So when I was talking to the mayor earlier, she was telling me, you know, 
this town started with like, you know, one acre or one square mile. One square mile. And now it's like 54 square miles. 54 square miles, yes. Uh, but when it started with one square mile, dating back to the 1700s, what was here? Not much. <laughs> okay. So around 1825, 1830, um, area planters were building their summer cottages on a bluff overlooking the May River. They discovered the river. They discovered the river, mainly because of the better climate during the summer months and to get away from pests and bad weather um, over the summer on their plantations. Um, that's also when you got the first post office, right? We got our first post office in 1839 before we even were called Bluffton. Um, in 1839 in May, we got our first post office. We were called May River, South Carolina, because that's where we were located. That's where the boat stopped. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, so with the... Um, Summer cottages, um, we were pretty much a sleepy town uh, for the most of the year, um, a little bit busy during the summer months, and that's all that was happening here. Then came the Civil War. Yes, in particular Thursday, June 4th, 1863. Uh, Union troops came over from Hilton Head, ransacked the town, burned the town. We lost about 60% of our homes and businesses in one day. Uh, fortunately for us, a few of those structures still survive today. How many people were living here then when they burned it? Um, not even a couple hundred. Wow. So it's, it's really had to turn completely around. Yes. And it took about 150 years to do it, just about. Yes, and especially after the war, most of the properties that were owned by formerly wealthy planters, who are now destitute, um, went on the auction block. So the local sheriff was very busy with sheriff sales in town, um, selling off all these parcels of property and um the houses that remained after the war, and then um, empty lots. So it was a buyer's market. <laughs> it was a buyer's market, especially if you had money and you were from the north. And that's who came down? That's who came down. Sort of like what just happened during the pandemic. Pretty much, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Everybody from the north said, okay, I'm going down. That's right. It was either Florida or South Carolina. That's right. Amazing. But then came World War II. Then came World War II. Um, we were pretty small in the 19, up until the 1950s. Um, I believe the 1950 census has us listed as having a grand total of 356 residents. Um, I think it might have been a little bit more than that. So this is um, Mayberry RFD. It is. Um, we did not have a traffic light. We had uh, most of our income being generated by the speed traps. Um, on the oh, road you were the guys. Uh, we were the guys. So this yes. is the original My Cousin Vinny. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, so the so, sheriff basically was, was pulling stuff. That, well, I don't know about pulling stuff. But, well, speed uh, traps. Yes. That's that right. would be called pulling stuff. That would be calling that, yes. Yeah. That's a historical term. Sure. Yeah, okay, fine. So that was the, the revenue, basically. You're going to be here a while unless you contribute to the budget. That's right. Okay, but then what happened? So um, up until um, 1960s, 1970s, we're still pretty pretty quiet, Um 1965, we get a brand new post office. At that point, we have about 500 residents in town. Um, but then it's called Bluffton then? It's called Bluffton. We got called Bluffton officially in 1841. Um, so we've had that name since 1841. All right, so now you get a new post office. New big, post office. Big deal. Very big deal. Um, and we've moved into the, the modern age. Um, still How many five, traffic lights? Um, zero traffic lights. Wow. Um, 
Then um, there was a small development that happened out um, in the far western area of town called Sun City by Del Webb. Oh, you know, I remember those in Arizona. Yes. So Del Webb came to um, South Carolina. Retirement living. Retirement living. Um, For those of us 55 or older, that was the place to live. Um, And at that point, um, the town of Bluffton was still one square mile. And town council realized that with the new development that was coming to their doorstep, they had an opportunity to either drive the development or be driven by it. Um, And they decided to drive the development. And at that point, we started annexing in areas that were formerly not part of Bluffton into the town of Bluffton. Um, That started the period of annexation, um, which today is the result of 54 square miles. Wow. But the river's still the river. The river is still the river, and it's still the place to be. And they're still doing oysters. We're still doing oysters, and they are fantastic. And if you haven't had them yet... Um, a May River oyster? Yes, highly recommend. What makes it different than any other kind oh, of it's oyster? Just, it's, the, it's the environment here, um, and they're, they're spectacular. And you still have alligators? Yes, um, along with some other critters. Um, but we do have alligators. Um, we have armadillo. We have raccoon. We have fox. We have deer. Um, just to name a few. Anything that scares you? No, I, I'm not afraid of anything. Not even the alligators? No. Why not? Well, you know, they're just cute. I mean, I'm, you know. You're describing an alligator as cute? Yes, I am. <laughs> I stay away from them. I don't come, I don't get very close oh, it's, to them. It's cute at a distance. It's very cute. Okay, double checking that. That's, okay. right, that's right. You're not just going to go, up there, oh, look at the cute. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. No, I, okay. no, not at all. Okay, just double checking. I want to make sure. Of course, yeah. The, the sanity level is, is with it. So. That's right. In terms of all the evolution of this town, going from like 700 residents to, what, 35,000? That's now? about right. Yeah. Uh, what's been the challenge? Anytime you have development, um, especially at the level we've seen it, I mean, we're one of the fastest growing municipalities in the entire state. Um, there's always pressure on um, things changing, uh, especially with historic resources. Um, our historic district is still the one square mile. So, um, with the we're, buildings that, were, that survived the, the, the fire? With the buildings that survived the fire, buildings that survived from the 1890s, 1900s, 1920s, 1940s. Um, there's only so many of those. Um, but people want to build here, live here, be here. Um, so there's always development pressures of um, new development, new opportunities. Um, so it's always a challenge. Now, you're originally from Philadelphia. I'm originally from Philadelphia. How did you get here? So um, I did my graduate work in, I have an MFA in architectural history from SCAD in Savannah. We know SCAD. And I always thought when I was in grad school, this would be a wonderful place to retire someday in the distant future. Um, I was working in New York City um, and the pandemic hit and I was one of the northerners that looked south with longing eyes and better weather and um, my job became available and I said, well, I could go back to the low country and work before retirement. So that's what brought me back to the area. And of course, I'll do my impression of the people welcoming you to Bluffton. Ready? Okay. You're not from around here now, are you? Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but you are now. I am now. Yes. What keeps you here? You know, it's a combination of things. It's, it's the, obviously it's the weather. I mean, here we are in the beginning of October and I'm still you know, wearing summer wear. Um, it's the people. Um, it's the stories. 
it's um, the culture, um, it's all those things. And you're staying. I'm staying. Wow. Cost of living? Um, much less. Um, what I paid for my New York apartment in Staten Island is now um, gets me a much more here. So your, your dollar goes further? A dollar goes farther. And if worse comes to worse, you can hang out with the alligator. That's right. My thanks to Glenn, to Lisa Sulka, and to Scott McCartney. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast from South Carolina. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.